Hey friends, welcome back, or if it's your first time, welcome and thanks for downloading this episode of How to Wow with the wise, the wonderful actor Richard E. Grant. The only point of us dropping this particular episode of How to Wow is to get you to listen to his audiobook, all right, because it's so good. It's nine hours of wonder in your ears. You know you say you can't put a book down when you can't turn this down. I secretly listened to it for nine hours, almost straight, um, with a beanie on, with my bone phone headphones on, so my family hopefully wouldn't notice that I wasn't listening to them and listening to him instead. It, honestly, it's the best audiobook I've ever heard. The original book was released in 96, 1996. Can't believe that. Uh, with Nails, um, Richard E. Grant's film diaries and shares his experience of being cast in the 1986 film With Nail and I. But it's so much more. That was merely the springboard for the rest of his life. And because he doesn't drink and he doesn't smoke and he doesn't do drugs... Observation is clearly his drug of choice, and we are the beneficiaries of that particular side effect. So um, there's nothing uh, not to enjoy in the next half an hour. But first, every morning, Tash, my wife, and I go scoop da loop with one heap scoopful of this all-round nutritional insurance, which is made up of no less than 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multi-mineral, probiotic, green superfood, scientifically researched and blended together to support and improve energy, recovery, immunity, and digestion. Deep seaweed green, like nature itself. This eye candy concoction takes just a few seconds, like no more than five or six, okay, ten tops, to prepare and taste absolutely gorgeous. And so, here's how you can get yours. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow and join health experts, athletes and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow. Okay, and don't forget slash how to wow because this will entitle you to the special deal Athletic Greens have given how to wow listeners. A free year's supply of vitamin D and five travel-free packs today to take with you on the go. Once again, Athletic greens.com slash don't forget how to wow all right let's cue over 30 minutes of awe and wonder from the uber lovely completely gorgeous utterly delicious richard e grant good morning richard good morning reg good morning my darlings why might i be calling you reg richard uh, well, I've worked with Julie Waters in the last century, and because of my initials, she called me Reg and has never stopped calling me Reg ever since. So call me what you like. All right. Nora Steve Martin, who uh, writes the intro to the book. Uh, this is, of course, With Nails, Richard's Film Diaries. It's been out in print before, but this is the audio version. I am eight hours into nine hours. I had to pretend that I wasn't listening to things. I wore a beanie yesterday and my bone phones while my family were talking to me over tea and things like that. But I was listening to you and your dulcet tones. It's awesome, Richard. Thank you. It is absolutely awesome. Thank you. I've been at parties with Richard. I didn't realise what he was doing while we're at those parties. He famously doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't do drugs. But what he does, his drug of choice is observation. And little did any of us know we were being observed so diligently. <laughs> I mean, that's that's half the battle, isn't it, I suppose? Uh, yeah, I started keeping a diary when I was uh, 10 years old, yeah. when I saw my mother inadvertently bonking my father's best friend in the front seat of a car um, in the middle of the night. So... It's a lifelong habit. So, yeah. yeah. And you're so very good at it. Thank so you. let's go in there with parties. Let's go. Uh, let's t- kick off with either Valentine's Night at Madonna's or <laughs> Robert Altman's On the Beach. You, you decide. Uh, I had done a disastrous film with uh, Sandra Bernhardt called, and Bruce Willis called Hudson Hawk. 
1990. And when I was in L.A., Sandra and Madonna at that time were great buddies. Uh, they've since are no longer great buddies. But um, Sandra said to me, oh, let's go up, um, let, let, let's go up for Valentine's at uh, Madonna's place. And I said, what, you mean the actual Madonna? She said, yeah. So we drove up the hill and I thought there'd be a big party. There wasn't. There were just bodyguards because they said that people were going through her bins at this time because she was so mega famous. And uh, went inside and there she was, um, tiny, you know, really, really petite. And uh, she was having a big barney with her boyfriend at the time, I think was a porn star. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> and then a gift arrived from an ex-boyfriend called Warren Beatty and yeah it just went on from there and uh it was you know a peep show into what somebody who at that point was gazillionly famous um and then spending valentine's night there with takeaway chinese food yeah i mean it's all in there you know the personalities the paranoia uh, matthew matthew modine's philosophy on how a man can win an oscar that's interesting isn't it oh yeah um matthew uh befriended me when i was working in new york and we were walking through central park one day and he said that in order to be a, a real movie star you've got to be somebody who everybody wants to shag and also is happy for you to um, to kill somebody on st on screen yeah on screen yeah, so you've and got to still like you still want you yeah they've still got to like you and they've got to want you to kill other people and to shag other people. Yeah, and you weren't sure about this, and then he cited um, names, and you thought, oh, he might have a point here. Yeah, I think he does have a point. That started know, with Gary Cooper. Oh, Gary Cooper, exactly, and then went all through the, the major movie stars, and I think he was trying to work out whether he was going to be somebody who people, everybody of both sexes wanted to shag and... Um, <laughs> And kill people on screen. And be forgiven for it. And be uh, slightly above the mean, uh, you know, on the handsome stakes. And then you you piled in with, you know, either that or a disability. Because uh, you had your own, <laughs> you had your own philo philosophy on it, didn't you? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, there was famously a year where Tom Cruise was in a wheelchair playing the guy who founded Hustler magazine. Yeah. And he was up against Daniel Day-Lewis, yeah. who was playing uh, Christy Brown, who was in a wheelchair yeah. again. So, um, you know, that was in the olden days where people could play somebody with a disability yeah. who weren't physically disabled themselves. No, got and it. that's all changed. 100%. Um, so, you know, they talk about the Fab Four, don't they, in music? And they talk about, how many is it in, in the safari world? Or hunting? Oh, the, big five. the big five. The big five. Um, and, but in the directorial world, there's the big three. And they are Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola. And there's Martin Scorsese. And there's Robert Altman. And you bagged all three in the end, didn't you? Well, they were, they, yeah. They, they were the gods of indie cinema in the 70s yeah. when I was growing up. So... The opportunity to work with all three of those directors in the early 90s um, was something that I never imagined would, would ever happen to me. So, yeah, I count myself extremely lucky. So, you know, in, in micro terms, how might that have happened then? Let's start with Bob Altman first. Uh, he, uh, he had seen With Nell and I. Right. And I was doing a film in Paris called uh, Henry and June with Uma Thurman, Fred Ward, the late Fred Ward, and Kevin Spacey. And... Uh, he called up my agent. He said, will you come and have dinner? And he said, my wife thinks that um, you're a good actor and would you play the younger version of composer Toscanini? And Vittoria Gassman is going to play the older version. 
And the whole thing, I thought, oh, great, I'm finally going to work with Robert Altman. And at this point in time, he was of an age where he'd been sort of put out a fellow in Hollywood and he was sort of unarrestable. Anyway, five weeks before we started shooting, all the finances collapsed and I thought, that's it. My dream of working with Altman were over. Because I'd seen Nashville 27 times when I was a uh, theatre student in the uh, mid-70s. And then uh, I was at the ill-fated premiere of Hudson Hawk and this guy tapped me on the shoulder and uh, it was Robert Altman sitting right behind me with Tim Robbins. And he said, what are you doing next month? I said, I will be unemployable because what you're about to see will end my career unequivocally. He said, well, he grabs, no problem. He said, I'm doing a movie called The Player. Um, I'm going to have you back to come to play a screenwriter. So he was true to his word and it, it transformed his fortunes. And I suppose it essentially saved me from the ignominy of being such an absolute turkey. Yeah, Hudson, um, Hall Hudson Hall. Interesting meal. I remember seeing it. And, Brutal. Uh, so this Brutal. is uh, Joe Silver and um, Bruce, uh, Bruce Willis. Willis together. So for people who don't know, Joe Silver was this sort of, sort of all-encompassing, all-empowered um, uh, uh, Hollywood producer. And he and Bruce were a double act for a while, and they could make anything they wanted, including Hudson Hawk. Um, and f- would you recommend that people watch it now just to see? Would you think is it up there with Heaven's Gate, maybe, or um, I think or down that, there with Heaven's Gate? I when think is it that go? if you've had a lot of libation <laughs> right. and um, uh, medical drugs of some description, yeah. it would be. But incredible, incredible again. The, the, you know where it's filmed, why it's filmed, how it's filmed, how Bruce turns up less the more he suspects it's not going to turn out as he wants to, and you you end up acting opposite all the stand-ins, don't you, for a while? Yeah, we'd, it got so ludicrous that eventually we were supposed to be filming in Moscow, but we were in Budapest, standing in for Moscow, and then it turned out it wasn't going to be set in Moscow. The ending it was going to be set in Tuscany, so. Uh, by this point, I think Bruce had so checked out that um, he wasn't there for any of his reverse shots. So he, we would film with him and get all his reactions, and then he'd leave. And we were left with the Hungarian script supervisor, whose English was like, the, you know, it was a good thing line. So I just waited until her mouth stopped moving and then knew that's when I was supposed to speak. Yeah, and there's things cool in show business. They cool very quickly and it's time to run. And people do. Even at screenings, you say, you say that, you know, even non-paying members of the public who enrol for these things called screenings, test screenings, that even they want to get away from a film that isn't very good as soon as possible and the house lights come up and the stores are empty. Yeah. And it's the opposite for a hit. Yeah, exactly. And I'd had the experience of going to the Hudson, uh, the Die Hard 2 premiere with this whole production team of producer Joel Silver and Bruce Willis. You got to stick around for the premiere. Yeah, and the and the the premiere was like it was Mexican wave people throwing popcorn up up and down. They the the uh, Bruce Willis was sort of lifted up by the crowd to you know get out of the cinema. Ext- I've never been to a um premiere like that. Exactly a year later, the same group of people, the same guests were there for Hudson Hawk. <sighs> And by the time the credits stopped rolling, <laughs> we were the the cast were the only people left oh in the cinema, God. and the only people that turned up for the after party were John Travolta and I think three other people. And this was the point at John Travolta pre Tarantino yeah. revival. Um, he was in uh, Lucas Talking Now. Yeah. Um, so it was 
it was right, such so a visceral, brutal way of we've experiencing got a, Hollywood. Sorry, forgive me for sounding like uh, somebody commentating on the Grand National, but there's so much to get through here. So back to the player comes to the rescue, yes? Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Altman, an, an amazing film about films. The only reservation anybody has when the first test screenings go out is, yeah, no, it's an amazing film, it works, there's a record-breaking opening shot in it, and if you haven't seen it, you should just for that alone. However, will the public fall in love with a movie about the movies? Answer, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. They did, and it won Cannes, and um, you know, revived everybody's, and especially Robert Altman's career. Yeah, but then he went on to make you know Pret a Porter three years later that I was in. Hang on, hold, hold fire. Okay, get your powder dry. Okay, so lots of people around Altman all the time. They want to be in his orbit because they love him and they love what he does and he's done. And and so who's who's around the player um, orbit? Who who do you meet? Who do you hang out with? Who do you befriend? Well, he had this. Ext- uh, all my scenes were with Tim Robbins, and uh, and Altman came up with this ploy of that all the extras in the movie would be played by real life movie stars, yeah. which was the reverse of what you know normally happens. So I got to meet everybody from director Sidney Pollack to Jack Lemmon, uh, Cher, up down inside with Julia Roberts. All of these people came in for a day. Um, Burt Reynolds, so it you know it was an extraordinary. And with Nell continued to be your calling card, didn't it? Because they yeah. they'd all seen with Nell many many of them multiple times. Is that correct? This is true. Yeah. Who, who's the biggest? I mean, they're, they're, who doesn't love with Nell and I? By the way, um, but who is who'd seen it most that you know of? Uh, I met Robin Williams. Yeah. And he just wanted to talk about that. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't in the player, but I met him at a party, and wow. that's all he wanted to talk about. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Isn't that cool? Thank heaven for with Nail and I, which nearly wasn't yours. Uh, well, it was more yours than you thought. Brilliant opening sort of a uh, couple of hours on with Nail and I. Seven days at Bruce Robinson's rented flat apartment on Camden Hill in Nottingham. You were in, you are out, you're shaking it all about. Bill Nye came and went. Other people could have come and, and fallen before you. Uh, but you probably had the part before you would let yourself believe that. Uh, well... I knew that I found out that Daniel Day-Lewis had turned the part down yeah, and that they had spent two months trying to find an actor that could make the director laugh or hear the words as he'd written them, heard them in without, his head. Without going for the funny. Exactly. So I, I'm on my first meeting with him, I said two words, fork it, <laughs> and made him laugh. And drop your script. Yeah. And uh, semi-attacked him. <laughs> and that made him laugh. And I didn't know that he hadn't, hadn't laughed at anybody else before. So he thought, well, if this you know, little oi can do these two thank, words thank correctly. Um, yes. <laughs> Save from the swearing bell. Uh, then I, you know, I get him back in to see if I can train him up to, to play this part. So that's why I went back, with, you know, back in every day after that. Yeah. Um, I, I often think they should be sort of... It's never going to happen, but an Oscar ceremony, because the Academy would never do it, for films that should have won Oscars but just didn't because they weren't quite on the radar. Um, because Whitnell would have to win one, two, three, if not sweep the board. Such an amazing film. Such an amazing film. Thank you. Your big break, you know, it changed your life. It still does, doesn't it? To this day, that's probably why you're sitting here now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know that. Yeah. 100%. Uh, where do we go next? Anyway, you like... Um, Steve Martin, yes. uh, L.A. Story. One of my favourite films. Didn't go down that well. I loved L.A. Story. I thought it was a great film. Oh, thank you, Chris. It's one of those things that, again, has sort of a, you know, accrued an audience since then from you know, video and then DVD and now streaming. So I still get messages on social media about it. So people obviously 
there are enough people out there who feel the same way that you do. Right. So, but it's, it, it, as a result of this, you have become lifelong friends with Steve Martin. You tell this lovely story about you know going to being invited to Steve Martin's house by Steve Martin and his then wife who, who stars in a story with alongside your good self and um, seeing Hockney's on the wall and then realizing you're actually it's like being in one of the paintings that are on the wall. Just tell us a bit more about going to Steve Martin's house for the first time with actual Steve Martin. Okay, well I was staying at the Chateau Marmont Hotel yeah. and I had been given a uh, open top rental car by the movie company and. Uh, on a Saturday morning, I got a phone call. Hey, um, what are you doing? I said, so who is this? Hey, it's Steve Martin. And I said, oh, hi. And he said, uh, what are you doing today? And I said, I just got up. Have you had breakfast? No. Come over. And I said, well, where do you live? And he said, oh, on Bedford Drive. You go just beyond the Beverly Hills Hotel on Sunset Boulevard. And it's a couple of stops further. You turn left on Bedford. I'm a house that looks like an art gallery, three, you know, a few doors down. So I went. And I'd been warned before working with him that he was very antisocial and difficult to, to get to know. And this, his house at that, it's now been raised and he lives somewhere else, um, further up the hills, but in, in Hollywood. But the, the door swiveled on a kind of pivot, um, which I'd never seen before. And Too big for hinges. Yeah, and he had a bottle of Aqua Libra in his, in his hand, and he said, hey, welcome, uh, do you drink Aqua Libra? And I said, yes, I do. <laughs> and then we had breakfast, <laughs> and he had all this amazing abstract expressionist American art on the walls, Demon Corn and uh, stuff. And because I'd done a part of my university, I'd done a history of art course, so I could talk about some of the stuff that he had on his wall, Freud and Bacon and various things. Um, and then, I don't know, some, somehow we got, and it was lunchtime, he said, what are you doing for lunch? He and his wife said to me. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not doing anything. He said, well, let's go to Venice Beach. So then we went to Venice Beach. Then we were rollerblading. And then by the end of the day, he said, what are you doing for dinner? And I said, well, I don't have any plans. He said, you're having dinner with us. So I ended up spending the entire weekend with them. So the man that I had been warned was completely opposite to the person that I met. Um, I suppose we were embraced by both of them, and uh, we've remained friends, you know, for the subsequent thirty-three years. But your story is a, is a parallel story of you know, often on screen, and everybody loves you. And I, you don't want to hear this, but everybody loves you, Richard, and oh. they clearly love your company. You know, and you're in a, this this crazy business, which is more about you know, it's hurry up and wait. So you're getting paid to wait. You get it's all about hanging around. You know, which is why actors talk about acting all the time because they've got so much time on their hands and they're just surrounded <laughs> by other actors. It's a bit like stand-up comedians, but it's times a thousand. You know, and this story, this 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 um this audio book is full of these kind of tales. You know, it's handy to get on with people, especially especially because, you know, in North America, you know, it is the home of the movies, regardless of what anybody else wants to think. And because everybody thinks you're this foppish quintessential Brit, which you're not, of course, at all, because you're not even from here, are you? Um, you and you're, you, because you're so lovely to have around, because you don't drink and you don't smoke, but, and you, you, you're quite... Because you don't have any inbuilt fee, because you don't wake up with a fear, because you don't have anything that's that's naughty, then you can therefore be naughty because you have nothing to fear. Do you know what I mean by that? <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Freud. Yes. It, it, it's, that's, and, that's what they, they all, and that's what we all love you for. So let's talk about Francis Ford Coppola and let's talk about um, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Can you, first of all, just frame it a bit and then tell us about this crazy seven-day uh, pre-rehearsal rehearsal period at his ranch slash vineyard, which the studio wasn't willing to pay for, so he funded himself, and it started off really well, and then it went somewhere else. Yeah, I was at uh, a party for the the producers of the player had had 
were giving and everybody in the room was mega, mega famous. And a 19-year-old tiny actress called Winona Ryder came up to me and she said, um, my boyfriend Johnny Depp and I know every single line of With Now and I. And I thought, yeah, yeah. So she was then blowing smoke up my teepee and telling me that I had to be in Dracula, that she was going to do, that Francis Ford Coppola was going to be directing. Anyway, I then had a meeting with him, got cast in it, and the studio wouldn't pay for any rehearsal. So Coppola um, got the studio to uh, Sony to fly all of the actors up to his Napa Valley estate, um, which is vineyards and you know, absolutely extraordinary place. And he had this big warehouse where we did the rehearsals for Dracula. Was it a barn? Yeah, it was like a big barn. Right. And the, the boat from Apocalypse Now was in there. The desk from Godfather was in there. And so, you know... As a movie buff, which I know that you are, to actually go and sit at the desk that old Marlon Brando, well, he was 49 at the time, sat at playing, you know, giving an offer you couldn't refuse, was an extraordinary thing. And Coppola then said that the 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 trio of love interest guys, Carrie Elwes, myself, and Bill... God, I can't remember his name at this moment. I'm seeing a moment because I'm so old. Um, said we had to have this bonding experience. And he sent off, off in a hot air balloon at you know, 7 o'clock in the morning. And he cooked for everybody at night. And Who else was there? Uh, Keanu Reeves, Gary Oldman, uh, Sadie Frost, Winona Ryder, Anthony Hopkins. You you, by the way, you do a great Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> you do. You do a great everyone, to be oh, honest. I'm not, I'm not going to do anybody, because he is the master of doing impressions of people. And they, they love a bit of that, don't they? Because everybody's got their shtick, haven't they? Everybody's yeah. got their take on things. And they hawk it around with them for dinner. And, and you went out with them. Um, you go out with for dinner with, uh, what's her name, Michelle Pfeiffer. And she yeah. gives you her take on life. And so-and-so gives you their take on life. Because this is what actors do. Yeah. Well, you, there's so much time that you spend, you know, like we're doing right here, right now. You, you, you have time between the takes and the setups. And the evenings when you're not working after work and you're on some location somewhere and you have to form these incredibly fast track, you know, intimate relationships with people. So um, Dracula comes out and you make Steve Martin yeah. uh, faxes your text, you whatever happened in those days. Um, what else could you faxes. do? Modem you or whatever it was. Yeah. And uh, he says, I don't know anybody who's been in a movie that's taken $30 million in the first weekend. You thought, oh, I must be getting all right then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I called him up the other day when I was um, I was I've been asked to host the BAFTA this this year, and um, I said, you know, can you give me any advice? Because I remember he was asked when he was asked to host the Oscars for the first time twenty something years ago, and he said he got calls from people who he hadn't heard from in decades saying, "Hey, Steve, let's do lunch." And um, that was his response to, to that. And I said, well, that's not helping me about how I host this thing. And he said, oh, you'll be fine. No, you will be fine. Are you, are you going to act here? Are you going to act being a presenter? Yes, I'm going to. Is that to. the best way to yes, do it? Yes, I'm in training right now. Yeah. Okay, how's it going? <laughs> terrifying. I bet it is for you. I bet it's really terrifying. Well, the thing is that, you know, if you're a comedian, as you'll know, you, you, you have license to go in and roast everybody. Yeah. Because you're not relying on them for future work. But, mm. you know, all the writers, directors and actors in that room are people that I want to, either I know them or want to work with them in the future. So you can't go that route. It's a pretty good vote of confidence, though, isn't it? It's a good pick, this one. Okay. No, it is though, isn't it? The fact they've asked you to do it. I mean, if the people who've done it before, it's a, it's a big deal. Oh, and, I hope so. As again, it's something else that you may not have expected you were ever going to do. No, the last thing I ever expected. <laughs> yeah. February the 19th. Is it live? <laughs>
Uh, well, please say yes, please. Yes, yes, it is. And the cool. last half hour is exactly live. For the first time, they're doing that this year. Right. That's that's so cool. Um, so there's so many places we can go. Let's go to pret porte next uh, before we get on to Mr Scorsese. So pret porte uh, if people haven't seen it, it's one of the greatest films of all time. Um, <sighs> How crazy was it? Because this is where real... It's where real life meets the cinema. However, the real life is the world of fashion, which isn't real anyway. And the world of fashion, um, or the world of cinema, is in great danger of being out-fantasied by the real world of fashion. Yeah. And so Robert Altman... uh we didn't know this, but he'd had a heart transplant, so he was very, very ill and recovering from that. And uh, he'd lost an enormous amount of weight between doing the play in 1991 and doing pret a in 1994. So we were all in Paris, this incredible cast, this from Julia Roberts, uh, Anouk May, uh, Lauren Bacall, Rupert Everett... Stephen Ray up Sophia down Loren. Exactly. <laughs> Just Sophia yeah. Loren, by the way. <laughs> Everywhere you look, there was somebody unbelievably great. Kim Basinger. Um, and uh, there was no, the problem with it is that there was no script, really, to speak of. Uh, the script basically went like this. Uh, Chris Evans and Richard E. Grant meet at 9.30 in the morning and they have an argument. And that was it. And we had to then improvise. So some people took advantage of that. And there was an amazing day where um, uh, Sophia, Loren, Sophia Loren has to faint when she sees Marcello Mastrioni for the first time um, because they'd been, in the, in the story, been lovers, you know, 30 years before. And it was in the middle of a fashion show that I was the designer of using Vivian Westwood's clothing. And... Danny Aiello, the late Danny Aiello, who I'd worked with on Hudson Hawk, his character didn't really have any reason to jump in on this scene. But when when Sophia Loren fainted, he then came in and said, hey, stand apart, we're going to have mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. So then the other actors said, get out of the way, get out of the way, including Rupert Everett. So he then had an amazing argument um, uh, saying... Uh, Lauren McCall, you left-wing commie. And, oh, all this was going on. And because it was surrounded by foreign press who were, who were filming all this stuff, thinking that it was part of, the, part of the movie, it was way more dramatic than anything had happened. So Danny basically got sent to Coventry by the rest of the cast because he was very rude to, to Rupert Everett about his sexuality and very rude about to Lauren McCall about her left-wing politics yep. you know, during the McCarthy era. So... Man, it was, that was the most dramatic thing that happened on the movie. But then those emotions get get in on the take, and that's what you see on the screen sometimes. Where when Altman's <laughs> around, yeah. so Lauren, so you you tell great stories, and they're first hand because they're from you, and they're about encounters. There, there's the day that you, Julia Roberts said, "Come and come and keep me company on the movie set of Hook," and you bump into Steven Spielberg, and then he says, "Can you stick around to make a laugh during the next scene?" I mean, what a moment that is for ex- yeah. for starters. It was it was extraordinary because I had just I was going to audition for uh, Dracula and because I had met Julia on the player, she was in the final scene with Bruce Willis in the gas chamber scene in the player, um, she said come over here and she had these little pixie ears on and her Winnebago was war to war with all the tabloid newspapers saying that Julia Roberts was drug addicted that she was, you know having a career fall out and come and she said she's been sacked from hook yeah do i look like any of the things that these are happening i said absolutely not so she said well come and watch me because i'm doing a um 
I'm sitting in a giant lantern playing Tinkerbell, and you can come and meet Stephen. I said, Stephen who? She said, Steven Spielberg. So I then you know, had the situation of going and meeting, and Spielberg, he looked at me, and he said, he took one beat, and he said, with nail, right? And I said, that's right. <laughs> so cool. And he said, right, your job is to make Julia Roberts laugh in this scene because we don't have anybody to make her laugh. So I started telling her stories about the insanity of making Hudson Hawk. Um, which made him laugh. He's never given me a job since. Um, and then he went off in a, one of the little golf carts to go and direct a scene in another studio. And he went between three studios. Because they had their scenes waiting for him. Yeah. Because you're so busy all yeah. the time. Remember, I've never, never seen a uh, director do that. Yeah. Um, oh. So um, you're with Lauren Bacall and you're with Sophia Loren. And these, so you tell st- your own stories, but they, they then tell you their first-hand stories of acting with people like Chaplin and who else did they talk about? Oh, t- Sophia Loren talked about um, that Peter Sellers was madly in love with her. Right. And you know, wanted to marry her and and she was very happily married to Carla Ponte and she talked about. And because you're a film buff, even as a kid you loved the movies, didn't yeah. you? You loved the movies. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not one... Your career, and I think all great careers, even Spielberg's career, you know, the reason that we all love this business so much is because they continue to pinch, be pinch-me moments yeah. all the time, you know. And, and now and again, we forget that. I forgot it for, for a, a lot more than I should ever have done. But, you know, when you're back in love with what you do, what your book reminded me of was to be freaking grateful more and more and more every day your story of bagging the part of Whitdale and I was so so such a kick up the ass for me even yesterday I was thinking God, yeah because yeah, I forgot what it's like because you one day you went to Bruce Robinson's flat and you didn't have the part and then that day that he gave it to you you went home and you did have the part and everybody else around you and the world around you seems just as it was before but yeah. something huge has changed and it's <laughs> your secret yeah yeah, it's it's true that it, it literally turns on a dime. And I know that, you know, it's sliding doors moment that if Daniel Day-Lewis hadn't turned down that part yeah. and, you know, all that stuff, I would not be sitting here 40, you know, years later. Or if anything else hadn't happened that did. Because everything's yeah. a sliding doors moment, yeah. isn't it? Right, Scorsese. Scorsese. Tell us about Marty. Uh, well, I went from... The, uh, Dracula, which, you know, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, and he worked in a kind of circus atmosphere if he wants... The bigger, the better. Yeah, the bigger, the better. The more people in the tent, the more animals, music, uh, food, everything going. You bring your relatives and your friends and anything to make a scene work. Scorsese was the exact opposite that, of that on Age of Innocence. It was monastically quiet and very, very controlled, and he speaks at bullet speed. So... It was it was very very sort of reverential, and I, I couldn't I couldn't connect this guy who directed all these incredibly violent movies, um, Mean Streets and Casino and you know uh, everything else in between, with this very very cultured man who you know wore suit and tie to work every day and was very obsessed with the place settings and the ballroom gowns of this turn of the century upper class New York milieu that we were all in, and then one day somebody who's speaking too loud and he just absolutely lost him <laughs> like that and every expletive came out of him like a sort of rumpled still skin I thought whoa okay I understand he's a human machine gun verbally yeah how are you now 
How am I now? Yeah. Well, I'm about to turn 66 years old and I'm in, you know, I just, I failed on my math at school. My daughter said to me the other day, you know, I think that you've probably got it wrong because she said, you carry on as though you're about 19. I said, well, that old. So, you know, it's just that weird thing that, you know, life, you know there's far less ahead than, you know, what I've, what I've lived through already. Um, it's, it's, it's brilliant as a study on the business. You know, it doesn't take itself seriously ever. Although, you know, there is one particular um, uh, chapter that broke me. Oh. Well, uh, I know what you're talking about. My just in the, in the first week of, at the end of the first week of rehearsals for uh, Withnell and I, my wife went into premature labor and our daughter was born at 27 weeks and only lived for half an hour so it was you know ex just exactly what John Lennon said before he was assassinated that um, life is what happens in between making your plans so at the moment of great uh, euphoria of getting this first lead role in a movie which I'd never been in before we then lost our child so it's you know it's just the way that it goes yeah the way that it goes where would you where might you want it to go between now and um the next the end of the next decade uh well my wife died 15 months ago and she said to me four days before she died try and find a pocket full of happiness in each day and it's been a great mantra to navigate the abyss of grief that you know my daughter and i have gone through and i suppose that's that's what you know keeps me going of you know trying to find something as positive as possible and In you know I've, I've had yeah a huge amount of work since then which which keeps me buoyed up and busy but the it, it's like having a parallel life that my one life ended on the 21 on the 2nd of September 2021 when she died and so everything that I'm living now feels almost like borrowed time after that but, you know, you just have to get on with it. And we're getting so much love about A Pocket Full of Happiness, the audio version particularly. Is this is this audio version, the new audio version of a book that's been out a lot longer, yeah. is it because of the success of that? Is it buoyed by that? Is it is it a, is it a sort of, is it a companion piece? Uh, yes, because when, when With Nails, the film diaries, came out in 1996... Uh, you couldn't. You couldn't. You had to do an abridged version. Yeah, I remember. Because at that time, you know, they, they came out on cassette tapes yeah. or CDs. <laughs> yeah. Them old days, wax last century. Cylinders, exactly. Wax cylinders. <laughs> so uh, the, they now found that we now know that you can you can have an entire unabridged book on yeah, audio. So yeah. that's why it was. They asked me to re-record the whole thing. Well, goodness me, time well spent, my friend. Time well spent. Thank you, Mister. Mr. E. And you're, I, th I thought he's got to tour this. He's got to tour this. He's all his brilliant mimicry. <laughs> and he's, you are touring it. Thank God. I'm touring the pocketfuls of happiness, yeah. Okay. Um, with Nails, the film diaries of Richard E. Grant, available from wherever you get your audiobooks. And uh, you can go to tickets for Richard. I'm just going to say Richard Live. Uh, it's <laughs> fane.co.uk slash Richard hyphen E hyphen Grant. Trips off the tongue, that one. Um, you, should, you should do. You should do a worldwide one-man show. I mean, you should do what you want. It's what you should do. But. All right. Thank um, you. It's absolutely awesome. Anything you'd like to say to people listening today? Uh, well, you know, the weather's good. <laughs> Everything's on strike. <laughs> Enjoy your feet up on the sofa and listen to Chris. <laughs> uh, Rich, thanks so much uh, for being here and for all the wonderful stuff you've done. It's a pleasure to know you, my friend. Thank you very much. 
There we are. That's just a bit of Richard E. Grant. If you want more of him and why wouldn't you, then check out his brand new audiobook, With Nails, The Film Diaries of Richard E. Grant. It's out now from wherever you get your audiobooks. If you like that, don't forget to rate and review this episode and why not dive into the How To Out archives for more wisdom from the likes of Bono and Russell Brand and Mini Driver and thousands of others. There you are. Ta-da. Sorry. Ta-da.